Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's really lovely to be able to share with you for a few moments um, this morning. And uh, as we begin, I want, to, uh, I want to start by asking you a question. Just a question to consider rather than a question to, to shout responses out to. Uh, and the question is, is very simple, very straightforward. What does Easter mean to you? We've heard what Easter means to, to some folks who came to the front. But what does, what does Easter mean to you? Maybe it is that, that long weekend after a long, after a long winter, the chance for, for some sunshine, chance to get away perhaps. Maybe like Keith, it's a, if you work in hospitality, it's just a really full weekend, a busy weekend. Maybe it's a chance to, to catch up with family. Maybe a chance to enjoy some sunshine for the first time for a while. Maybe it's the last chance to get some of those Cadbury's cream eggs before they disappear for the year. Or maybe it's a celebration of a truth that has changed your life. That Jesus has died but is raised to life. What is really interesting for me, what is really noticeable is just how varied, how different those answers are. How different a, a chance for a long weekend or an opportunity for some sunshine compared to the, the, the truth but that has changed and transformed my life, a truth by which I, I live my life by, how different those answers are. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. I suspect that most of us here have a, uh, have a digital camera or, a, or at least a phone that takes good pictures. And on that camera or on that phone, that device, there will be lots and lots of photographs, probably hundreds, if not thousands. And they're special to us. They're significant to us. We back them up on an external hard drive or mysteriously, wonderfully, somehow we send them up to the cloud so that they're kept safe. Pictures of a holiday in Spain, pictures of that wedding or family get-together, pictures that capture that certain moment that's so significant, that's so important, that's so precious. But if you were to take the camera or the phone of the person sat next to you or the person behind you or the person on the back row, and, uh, and you would do what you always do if you get a phone, you'd just flick through the photos. Because you want to find out whose phone it is. Also, you want to look at their photos. If you were to flick through, you would see, well, they're interesting photographs, but they don't really mean anything to you. You weren't there in Spain. You weren't at that wedding. You don't know who these people are. It's, it's, it, they're, they're important for someone else, but they're not particularly important for you. And there's lots of folks in our, in our world, in our community, perhaps even here today, who, who the events of Easter are like photos on somebody else's phone. They're important for somebody else, and we can see that. But they're not particularly important for us. Fascinatingly, the, uh, the events of the, the first uh, Easter Sunday, that's the very same dynamic that's been played out. And we're just going to look at some verses in Luke's gospel and explore them together. We're in Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses in a moment or two. Here's where we're up to in the story. Jesus has uh, been um, walking around this earth. He is, he's God who stepped into the world that he's made. 
And he's displaying his character and his goodness and his grace and his power. But as we saw on that video, that he, he was loved by some but hated by others. He's betrayed. He is put through this kind of fake sham of a trial. And he's beaten, tortured, spat upon and crucified. He's killed on a Roman cross and his body is taken down and put in the tomb of a rich man called Joseph from Arimathea. A large stone is rolled over the entrance of the tomb. Luke 24 verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women who had spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. The women there, they find the empty tomb. They, they discover that, that Jesus has risen from the dead. They go on and share that with the apostles, but it just seems to them like nonsense. They can see that it means something to the women but it doesn't mean anything to them yet. Like photos on somebody else's camera. I can see it means something to you, but it, it just doesn't add up for me. We're going to explore the verses for a few moments to see how that changes. There's two things that we'll keep coming back to. Two things we keep hearing repeated. An empty tomb and some good news. An empty tomb and some good news. So who are these women who are discovering this empty tomb? Well, we first read about them early on in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 8, we read this, verse 1. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, that's the disciples, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Susa, the manager of Herod's, house, Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them in, out of their own means. Luke, in his gospel, does something quite significant. and He, he keeps reminding us of the, the significant role that, that women are playing in this story. His gospel starts with, uh, with Mary, with Elizabeth, with Anna at the birth of Jesus. And now we have these, these women who are supporting Jesus through his earthly ministry. That's nothing surprising for us today, but it's a big deal in first century Palestine. It's very, 
very unusual at this time, very countercultural. And, and these, these women have encountered Jesus, they've met Jesus, and they've realized who Jesus is. We, we read there that, that Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. Now that's language perhaps we're not familiar with today, but what it means essentially is that, that she is in deep trouble. She's in a very dark place. There's a lot of darkness, the very, uh, the very uh, definition of darkness fills her life. But she has found Jesus bigger and stronger and better and good. He is light and goodness and God. And has found him much better than all of the darkness. The, the fact that they would, they would drive all this darkness away. And so the, the women are now supporting uh, the, the work. The keen that that same transformational power be seen and experienced by others. And they continue to follow Jesus. We read in Luke 23 that they see Jesus crucified. They're there as he dies. In verse 55 of Luke 23, we see that they, they see Jesus' body taken down and put in the tomb. And now they're entrusted with this most important of all news. That the tomb is empty and Jesus is risen. And I find this account so fascinating, so intriguing. It, it's so powerfully gentle. It's so wonderfully, supernaturally understated. We live in, in a world of, of kind of Hollywood blockbusters and, and a Netflix series with, with millions of pounds uh, that are kind of given to that budget. And if we were writing this story, I think we would write it differently. We would want to see the resurrection. Not just see the results of it. We would want all of Jerusalem called out to, to see the resurrection. Just as they all saw the crucifixion. We'd want thunder and lightning and the, and the wind rattling in the trees. And then everybody looks on as this lifeless body starts to twitch. The fingers start to move. And everyone sees the resurrection. That's probably how we would write it. We would see the fear in the eyes of those who'd condemned him. We'd see the confession of those who'd betrayed him. But this isn't a show. This is life for those who are seeking. This isn't an experience that will fade with time. This is concrete evidence of an eternal transformation. And God is so gentle but so powerful in how he communicates it with an empty tomb and some good news. So what is it that these ladies find as they approach the tomb? They take the spices to honour their friend, their master, their Lord to embalm his body. But they find the stone rolled away. Why is the, why is the stone rolled away? It's not to let Jesus out. Jesus doesn't need the stone rolled away to, to let him out. As we read on through the Gospels, when Jesus appears in his resurrection body, he can appear where he wants and when he wants. He doesn't need the stone rolled away. The stone is rolled away so that the, 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 these women and the disciples can look in. The stone, stone is rolled away for us to see into this empty tomb. And the tomb is, is empty. We have tombs, don't we, where we, where we lay those whom we love, 
whom we've loved. They're places where, where those who we've, we've cherished, where we remember them. We, we keep them present with us in the stories and the memories and the reflections. They're important places, significant places. But this tomb is empty. There's no point going to this tomb to remember stories of Jesus because he's not there. There's no point going to this tomb to, to kind of remember that time when Jesus said this or that because he, he isn't there. He's alive and he's still writing his stories. He hasn't finished. He hasn't stopped. The women are wondering about this empty tomb and the stone rolled away. It's a good thing to wonder. It's a good thing. They wonder before they meet the risen Jesus. The disciples wonder before they meet the risen Jesus. It's a good thing to wonder. It can, it can be part of the pathway to discovering who Jesus is and the life that he offers. To wonder, to ask. And as they're wondering, these two men in clothes that gleam like lightning stand beside them. And they've got this incredible message. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remarkable words, an empty tomb and some good news. And then they remind them of this, what Jesus has said. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised to life again. Then they remembered his words. And that seems to make all the difference for them. It seems to be that, that that makes the difference. God's word makes the difference. It's then that they start to realize this is what the plan was. Jesus isn't an unfortunate person who's been caught up in a drama that he wasn't aware of. He's not a social reformer who's died for his principles or to instigate some social change. He's not a highly principled man who's died for his principles. He's the son of God who's come to rescue us. Like Colin was saying, the Old Testament whispers this plan of salvation all the way through. This is what was coming. This is how it was going to happen. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This was him being given. And it's, it's almost as if as, as they realized this was the plan. This is how it was to be. This is God's rescue for us. That things start to line up. It's God's word that changes everything for them. And now, excitedly, they go and share the message with the 11 disciples and those with him. Those who know him well. Those who have walked with him. And I love the honesty, I love the reality, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. The, word, the, word, the Greek word nonsense there is, is leros and, and it's where we get our, it's kind of the root of our, our word delirious. What the women say sounds, it just sounds a bit much. It almost sounds a little bit, dare I say, almost sounds a little bit mad. It just seems like nonsense. In your translation, it might say idle tales. It's far-fetched. It's almost like 
photos on somebody else's phone. I can see it means a lot to you, but it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It, it, it's not, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up for me. But what the women said must have had a certain conviction to it. It must have been powerful because they don't stay in that place where they are, but they leave and they go and look at the open tomb for themselves. They go and start exploring. They go and check it out. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He started to think. You see, when somebody says that they don't believe you about anything, it's not that they don't believe anything. They just believe a different narrative to what you're saying. They believe another storyline more than what you're saying. So they don't, they don't believe nothing. They just believe that if, you, if Jesus died, he stays dead. That he doesn't rise. But they start to wonder. Start to ask questions. They start to think about it. They start to explore. And they go and look at the open tomb. Later on that day, this is what happens. The disciples have started to hear of more people meeting the risen Jesus. And later that evening, verse 36 of Luke 24, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. But he said to them, Why are you so troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this to them, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And he gave them a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And once again, it's God's word that changes things. As they realize this is everything must be fulfilled that I told you. All the things that have been written about me. This has been the plan. This is what was meant to happen. That God would step into this world to pay the price for our sin, for our rebellion. That he would do something we cannot do. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. The, the solution to the problem of evil and, and sin isn't inside if we only look hard enough. It's a, it's a, it's a solution that God himself has come to deliver to us. To rescue us. And he rescues us in Jesus. Jesus, who is God, steps in to save his people. He defeated sin and darkness and death. He offers a life that is too strong and too full for death to restrain. He, his sacrifice brings freedom. His death brings life. His resurrection proves his power and reconciles us to God. And it all starts as the disciples see an empty tomb and hear 
some good news. There are, of course, certain times in life where we see photographs on somebody else's phone or somebody else's camera. And though we're not in them, and though we weren't there, and though we don't recognize everybody in these photos, it's a deeply significant moment. And that is as we're starting to get to know the person we've fallen in love with. Maybe we're engaged to be married and then we're looking through old photo albums and we, we're, we're right there. We're, we're hearing stories about the people. We're, we're, we're engaging with what's happening. A tear rolls down our cheek at somebody who's not there anymore. We laugh at a story that's told. They're, they're photographs. They're not in our photo album. But because we love it starts to mean something to us. And, and when we start to recognize and realize God's love for us, that's not all of who God is, but, it's, but, it, is, but it is a big part of it. It is the door we walk through as we get to know him. As we start to recognize and realize that love for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The events of Easter perhaps start to transform from just events that other people seem to be excited about to, to, to the same events that can transform our own lives, the same person who transforms our own life. So as Keith said before, I guess the, 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 the question this evening, this evening, I don't, don't think I've spoken quite that long ago, <laughs> One can never rule it out. <laughs> the question for us this morning is what do we do about it? What do we do? If we're walking with the Lord Jesus, then we celebrate this incredible truth, an empty tomb and some good news. Good news of, of a God who, who loves us so much that he steps in to save those he's created to pay a price that we couldn't pay ourselves, to reconnect us with God, to bring purpose and hope and light into a very dark world and to give us an eternity with him. And if we don't know him yet, and if we don't know him yet, are we willing to wonder, to wonder at the good news? What does it mean? What could it mean to, to look at the empty tomb? This isn't a show that is put on. It's a truth for those who are seeking that changes everything. That changes, like, like new glasses, that changes the way in which we see the world. And maybe, maybe you have been wondering and, and, and you're ready to, to explore this further then talk to the Lord about it. The wonderful thing about serving a risen saviour is that he's alive. He's not, he's not dead. Talk to him about it. Pray. That's what praying is, as we talk to him, engage with him, <clears throat> ask him to show you himself. And it's as we meet that risen Jesus that everything changes. At the end of the service, we always...